edition of the dogger pass podcast this for ufc 278 this episode of the dogger pass podcast and all episodes of the dogger pass podcast are brought to you by prize picks use promo code dop when making a new account to get a match up to a hundred dollars on your first deposit you know we've got 13 ufc fights me and cody are going to break it down we also have a new show on mayo media network john kelly is going to take all of your uh, questions about anything, maybe about anything in his life. I don't know what type of, uh, you know, levels of questions John is willing to answer live on Mayo Media Network. Maybe you could ask him, like, you know, what hair product he uses or anything like that. Anything under the sun. I, I'm under the impression that John will answer it for you. And he may or may, or may not have some, like, answers on, like, a certain daily fantasy sports site that won't be named on this program. Um, so yeah, check that out. 7 p.m. live Mayo Media Network. You got to be a sub to ask a question. So sub uh, subscribe to Mayo Media Network right now. Cody, how we doing? Yeah, thanks for having me on as always, my man. Uh, so basically last week it looked like a lot of the favorites looked low-key pretty good. And uh, which dogs were going to be the one to come through. And I had two dogs. Unfortunately, it was Dog City. Which is another reminder of why Not it's just so unsafe. For all of us. I mean, no, value boys were... like me enjoy it. Right. Yeah, well, the value boys definitely had a feasting because there was a, a ton of guys to pick from. So whether it be the guys that were backing Gerald Mearshart on the basis of the superior ground game, whether it was the guys that were backing Nate Landwehr on the basis of the guys an actual junkyard dog. I mean, the plus money hits for sure. So got bathed last week uh, from basically from top to bottom. Marlon Vera comes in the main event, and that's about it for the most part. Uh, but yeah, what can you do? Lick your wounds and move on to the next week. So this week, again, the approach, you're looking at it, and it's like, oh, man, it's a lot of favorites and a lot of these big favorites. But we got to kind of zone in on which underdogs are going to come through or at the very bare minimum, Paul, which favorites to kind of fade and have at the, the bottom of the ticket. So that's what we're here to do this week and try to do it. And then and last but not least, you know, last week's another good reminder of something like the Lupita Godinez fight where afterwards she comes out and she's just like, oh, man, I've been sick and I've been injured and I've been training. and This is the worst I've ever been. It's like, well, why did you come into the fight? But it's not about picking someone on the basis of they beat them on their best day. We need to prepare for can fighter A beat fighter B on his worst day because you just can't trust these people to show up at 110%. So, of course, this week will be much of the same. We love Paulo Costa. Why wouldn't you? But is he going to make 185 pounds, Paul? That's a question for uh, about 10 minutes from now. But we can start with the main event. Main event. We've got Kamara Usman taking on Leon Rocky Edwards a rematch from way back in the day both of these guys on over 10 fight winning streaks Usman minus 400 Edwards can be had for plus 330 I mean both of the, I mean I'm happy for Leon Edwards because like he was like the unsung unappreciated guy in the division finally gave they gave him a little bit of rub they gave him the Nate Diaz fight and then from that they move him over to here uh, one thing I will bring up, and I'll probably bring it up over the course of a whole bunch of different fights, is that, you know, Salt Lake City is at, like, the Vivint Arena in Salt Lake City. It's at, like, 4,200-foot elevation. So if you have, like, cardio concerns about anybody, not that you're going to have cardio concerns about either one of these guys in the main event, 
just factor that in. Like, don't be so confident. If you think a fight's going to go 15 minutes and you're per the person you plan on betting on struggles um, in the later rounds, like, it's probably not going to get very much easier. Don't overthink it. Like, this isn't Mexico City. It's not 10,000 feet. But um, and it's not even, you know, Denver, Colorado. But it, it could have a, a slight, slight effect on some people. You know, if they already struggle being at 4,200 feet, 4,200 uh, feet above ground, not going to help either. Uh, Kamaru Usman, I believe he's still doing his training camps out of Denver, Colorado. The guy's a cardio machine. Stand up between these two of them should be relatively uh, competitive. But I believe, I think Usman, you know, puts the pace on him. Probably a lot of like, at least in the early rounds, like, holding him up the cage, foot stomps, slowing down the mobility uh, of Leon Edwards, kind of grinding him out a little bit. Um, he'd be, he wouldn't be very wise just to stand at range, like use all of your tools. I think he will use all of those tools. Minus 400 is like kind of pricing me out of the market here. Like I like Guzman to win, but we'll see where this line goes. And like maybe I'll t the way I'm kind of looking at this card this week, Cody, is like I'm a value boy. I'm going to see where, like, some of this steam goes to on some of these favorites. Pick a couple shots on some underdogs. Leon Edwards is on the list, but, like, he's further down the list of guys that I'm interested in taking a underdog shot on. Usman, I think, wins. He is my official pick, I guess. But uh, we'll see where I get from a betting perspective. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, that's the thing. Now you're thinking about value and what could go wrong with Kamaru Usman. He's such a dominant champion, but what's my worst-case scenario? And, of course, the worst case is that he is 35 years old. He has been on record saying his knees are not exactly what they used to be. And if he doesn't go out there and wrestle with Leon Edwards, and at least he's giving Leon Edwards his opportunity to land that body kick, to land those elbows, to open up a cut. Like, at least he's somewhat playing with fire. But I got to agree with the line. Maybe not minus 400. That's way too deep. But it's been steamed in that direction for a reason. And I think Kamara Usman has the stand-up game to hang with Leon Edwards and has the wrestling as well. But beyond all that, it's the pressure. Leon, as much as he's super underrated and nobody wants to fight the guy, he's got no name within the division, but he brings all the skills. If you were going to shit on him a little bit, doesn't have any relevant wins in the division in 2022. His wins include uh, Nate Diaz, non-relevant, Rafael Dos Anjos, who at this stage of his career would have to be considered a non-contender, Gunnar Nelson, Donald Cerrone, Peter Sabata, Brian Barberena. Like, it's not exactly the, the world-class guys. He hasn't gone out there and had to fight you know, the, the upper echelon, so to speak, the top contenders within the division. So it's easy to look back and how he's dominant against some of those guys, but is that applicable against Kamar Usman? Like, not likely. Now, here's the other thing about Leon Edwards. For as flashy as he is, and I love how he always strikes when he exits the clinch and he's very physical and he's added a lot of wrestling to his own game since the first Kamar Usman matchup. For all of those things, it's like he doesn't seem to particularly deal good with like the 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 the, the fire, right? That pressure that somebody's gonna get in there and like bring it over to him. That's why he's been wrestling a lot more. Now look at the last couple fights, right? The Gunnar Nelson fights, a three rounder. First two rounds, Leon looks pretty good. Third round, it looks like Leon's tired. Leon gets taken down. Leon loses the third round to Gunnar Nelson. Again, this is not. A particularly good look but you see the longer the fight goes and you keep bringing that pressure to him that's when he'll start to crack a little bit the Blah muhammad fight i mean it's over before it really gets going but it is a five rounder and what you notice in that fight is that first leon's looking flashy standing you know he, he's fainting very nice he's landing the body kick he's being very, very rangy but Bilal's trying to find the distance and Bilal doesn't have much of a reach that's why it takes him a while he gets eye poked in the first round right Rubs it out. They give him a minute. In the second round, he gets eye poked a second time. That's all Leon with his fingers extended trying to keep him away. 
he tried to clinch up with Bilal a ton in that fight. Now, I'm not saying he eye poked his way out of it. I'm saying it's difficult to say, oh, well, he won the first round. He's easily going to win that fight. Like, I don't know if it's that clear cut. But then the Nate Diaz fight for four rounds, I mean, he's beating up Nate Diaz. Still feels the need to take Diaz down four times. Why? Because Diaz starts getting a rhythm standing. He doesn't like it. Now, you can take down Nate Diaz. You can try to take down a Bilal Muhammad. You can try to outgrapple Rafael Dos Anjos. Not going to happen against Kamaru Usman. So if he's feeling that pressure, he's feeling that power, there's no instant way out. And with Kamaru, we've seen uh, since he started training with Trevor Whitman, his hands have been looking really good. Knocks out Jorge Masvidal, two knockdowns against Colby Covington his last time out. If Leon's not there to just you know take him down as a reactionary takedown when stuff starts to get dicey, then what's going to happen to him? Nate Diaz has got this guy out, basically, and that's Nate Diaz. What's Kamaru going to do when he gets in that spot? So I got to go with Usman. I don't know if I'd take it by TKO or by decision. Simple fact is, I think he could knock him out. But, you know, logic would dictate he's probably going to grind him a little bit in the mix as well and probably settle for a a 25-minute decision. I don't know. I think he's still got some magic left in the gas tank, and I think he goes out there and beats Leon Edwards. Again, the price is a little too big for my liking, but the easy out for us here is if we can pair him off with somebody else on the top ticket to get his near even money. You have an instant hedge out opportunity because of that big plus money on Roberts. I just don't know. I'm, I'm chasing it personally. So sign me up for the Nigerian nightmare, Kamar Usman, and still. Yeah, I'm kind of on the same page as you there. All right, we got uh, Paulo Costa taking on Luke Rockhold. Minus 350 Costa, plus 285 Rockhold. Big line movement like yesterday. Uh, yesterday being Tuesday on Costa. He went from like, you know, the minus two. It was like Monday, sorry. He went from like minus 260 all the way down to 400, and then there's been a little bit of buyback on Luke Rockhold. Rockhold hasn't had a UFC fight since 2019. He's done a little bit of grappling stuff. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, he's 38 years old. It looked like his chin was kind of escaping him. Not even kind of escaping him. It has been escaping him. Uh, Costa is always a, a bit of a red flag kind of guy because who knows if he's drinking wine the night before his, uh, his matchup. Like that was his excuse, obviously, for those who don't know against Israel Adesanya when he got, I mean, that was a horrible performance by him, but that was like his excuse. He's a bit of a wild card. He's a bit of a crazy man. If you follow him on social media, he, he seems like, you know, he seems a a little bit crazy, but like kind of fun, crazy, but. I mean, if you look at him on social media, in fairness, he does look like he's in tremendous shape for this matchup. He is a guy who is known for finishing people very early in fights. Paulo Costa, like, by knockout, is, like, minus 160. Don't love playing those types of props when they're, like, minus money, but, like, that would be my pick. I think Costa knocks him out. Inside the first two rounds on prize picks, they've got uh, this fight set at fight time 10 minutes and it's like at, at some of the books right now it's like minus 175 minus 182 uh for fight doesn't start round three i think that's a great 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 spot on prize picks one of the you know the pillars of my prize pick action this week pat just so people don't have to wait till the end in case the in case you don't get there fast enough and the lines move on you this one under 10 minutes so costa Rockhold under 10 minutes and Alamarang under 12 and a half. Alta Murano versus That's the last Silva. fight. Under, under, yeah, it's under 2.5 is minus 180 because people are like, wait a second, Daniel Da Silva can't fight 15 minutes or can't fight 12 and a half minutes. People have been jamming money at that. That's still available. 
So who knows? Who knows how long these lines are going to last? They are available at the time of this recording. Yeah, so, I mean, you told me that one. I also got a DM from John Kelly. Once again, Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time, live on Mayo Media Network, sub to the channel. That's instantly, he's like, this is the craziest line of all time. This is going to be like eight and a half. They're both basically the exact same price. And actually, I had had actually hit that when I got back um, from taking care of my dog. I had had hit that as well. Um, Altamirano under... Costa under in terms of the fight time. So those those surely will move or we're all just fish and they're going to collect all of it. But th- this is how you play the game. This is how you win the game. But yeah, Costa knocks out Luke Rockhold. Who knows where Luke Rockhold's head is at at this point in the game. He's talented. He was talented. I don't trust his durability as far as I can throw him though. What about, what about you, Code? Yeah, there's another takeaway from last week. I'm trying to not overthink things this much, right? And what I mean by that is Josh Quinlan should have been on the top ticket, right? Because we all know that Jason Wick can't take a punch, and you and I go on record, and we laugh about it, and we joke about it. We actually come off a little bit rude and insulting probably at times, but then he, he goes and he lives up to everything we said about it. Dude, dude just can't take a punch. How, how could you back that up? So then I was in Nashville this weekend, and uh, Trevor Peak, you'll probably see him on Contender Series very shortly. Uh, he goes out there and he takes on Kama Worthy. Well, what do we know about Kama Worthy? He's been knocked out eight times in his professional career. And even though Trevor Peak was the plus 185 underdog, uh, when you can't take a punch anymore, that that's, that's what tends to happen. Luckily, I hit that one. But you know what I'm saying? It's just durability is a very key component of MMA. You can be a better striker. You can be a better grappler. You could have better cardio, better ring IQ, more experience. If you can't take a punch, it, it doesn't matter. And the thing with Paulo Costa is you can beat him and he can show up in terrible shape. But has anybody ever fought Paulo Costa and not got hit? Has anybody ever fought Paulo Costa and has had a clean performance? Israel Adesanya, Izzy. you know, I guess that was that was that was a that was a picturesque performance, right? Yeah. But Izzy is able to play that long range. He's able to play the, that 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 straight distance management, fleet footed, and of course the guy shows up in shit shape. There's another interesting thing is when you watch Paulo Costa versus Yoel Romero, the commentary team mentions right away they're like Paulo Costa's strength and conditioning coach said that this is the best weight cut he's ever had, right? So it makes 185 versus Yol. It's a banger. It's a fight of the year contender. Great fight. And a fight where even though he largely gassed out in that third round, it was such a trepid pace, man. Like, sorry, not trepid. It was a hectic pace. They were going at it, right? So a little bit understandable. You mentioned that he's a quick finisher, but all those real wins in the UFC, Uriah Hall, Johnny Hendricks, Oluwale Bengbase, they're all second round TKOs, right? So which he's a guy that can carry. Which would still cash on prize picks. What I'm saying is he doesn't need that first round KO necessarily. No. He could take it in the second round if need be. We all know that he's going to gasp beyond that point, but this is only scheduled as a three round fight. So you probably wouldn't have to overly worry about it, right? Here's my problem is that career best weight cut against Yoel Romero. The very next fight is against Israel Adesanya, where he didn't fight like himself. He never came forward. He never let his hands go. He did not. He looked like a shade of himself. Then he comes out saying, I was drinking wine the night before. It's like, well, he didn't take it seriously, but I think that's all a cover up for. He had a bad weight cut, right? So now he fights Marvin Vittori. It's scheduled at 185. Only like fight week rolls around and this dude's like, no, nah, not going to happen. 205. That's a 20 pound difference, Paul. Was he going to attempt to cut the 20 pounds down to 85? Is that what he normally does? Crazy. But he decides to fight Marvin Vittori at 205 pounds. And yeah, I thought he looked better at 205. Like he had energy. He was able to scrap. That was a five round fight. And it looked like his cardio held up a lot better than it usually does. Again, fast pace. And he nails Vittori with a ton of shots, but it's at 205 pounds. So now he's expected to shed off all that weight, go through another 30, 35 pound weight cut. He hasn't successfully done so cleanly since the Yoel Romero fight. That's three years ago. 
Um, he's 31 years old now. You've seen the guy's Instagram. He looks in great shape, but he also looks big, thick, and heavy. So if he cuts, if he has a bad cut to 85, uh, he probably still knocks out Luke Rockle. But that's just like thing number one that could potentially go wrong, right? Thing number two that could potentially go wrong is have you seen Paulo Costa on his back? Because it's not good. Against Gareth McClellan, it's never going to get there. Against Oluwole Bengbase, never going to get there. Hendricks, a shell of Hendricks. Uriah Hall, Yo Romero took him down briefly. And at the end of the round, there was like 10-second clapper, so there was no top control. It's the Israel Adesanya fight and the Marvin Vittori fight. When Izzy drops him, yeah, he's probably half concussed from the knockdown, but Izzy just immediately gets on top of him, like passes him out, takes his back, flattens him out, and TKOs him. Like he didn't, no reactionary jiu-jitsu for the very least. But let's give him a pass because he was hurt. Fair enough. But the Maru Vittori fight, he tries to pull guard on like a crappy guillotine choke in like the second or third round. Maru Vittori just passed because he's on top of him. And Vittori got no gate, or sorry, uh, Paulo Costa, he's weak off of his back. Now, there's the thing with Luke Rockhold. He can't take a punch no more. But he's a hell of a grappler, man. Last victory, of course, against Dave Branch shows a TKO, but he completely smothered him on the ground, took his back, flattened him out. Excellent performance on his off time from fighting MMA. He has been doing some jiu-jitsu. He's a big, lanky, high-level BJJ Blanco. And my concern would be for Paulo Costa, if he has a bad weight cut and ends up getting taken down for whatever reason, we could be in some trouble, man. We could be in some trouble big time. But what, what's reeling me back into the Paulo Costa side is, yeah, Rockwell's been off for like three years. The last time we saw him was also at 205 against Jan Blakovic, where his takedowns looked measly. And before that, the Yo Romero fight, I thought he actually won the first two rounds against Yo Romero. So, well, actually, he basically... Yeah, yeah, no. First two rounds, I thought Luke Rockhold won it, and the third round, he gets knocked out. Against Jan, he's winning the first round, then gets knocked out with, like, two seconds left in the round. Like, a kick gets on the side of the head. He's out at the end of the first, and then properly gets knocked out in the second. So, his problem is, is, like, he could be fighting a, a picture-perfect game plan. He could be getting takedowns. He could be moving and grooving and playing that outside game in the big cage. But at some point, he's going to get hit, and I just can't have any faith that he's going to be able to take that punch at this point. So... I'm back on the Paulo Costa team. Yeah, I think you'd be a fool not to. It seems too good to be true, but uh, I'd try not to overthink it. All right, we got uh, Marab Dvalishvili taking on Jose Aldo. Minus 140 Dvalishvili, plus 120 for Jose Aldo. Very, very interesting fight. Uh, historically, Jose Aldo, tremendous uh, defensive um, wrestling, like 90% takedown defense. Marab, what's his game? It's like, Spam takedowns from like the opening bell and on. Um, it's very, yeah, very, very interesting. Jose Aldo's kind of like resurrected his career at 135 pounds. It's this is like his final, probably his final, like you know, run at the title. It's an interesting fight. Not really interesting from a betting perspective because I don't really know. And it really comes down to is Marab going to secure takedowns? I mean, he's going to be chasing them early on. If he doesn't, he's in for a world of hurt, I think. So, fight I'm more interested in going at live. Maybe you lose the the, the line on Marab if he secures a takedown early on. But you know with Marab, it's like he takes guys down. He doesn't have the greatest top control. Like, he doesn't hold people down. That's why he has, like, 12 takedowns in some fights, 13 in another. Um... I'm going to pick Marab. I think he does secure takedowns. Won't be touching this unless it's in a live betting market. I did. I like it. Don't love it. It's not like the the Rockhold or the Altamirano 
um, those totals. But I did do Marab over two and a half takedowns on prize picks. Uh, added it into the mix, but you know it's not a pillar of my action this week. So Marab for me. What about you? I could be chasing like the value, like value voice side, because I think this is a 50-50 fight, man. These guys fight 10 times. It could be five apiece. Why? Because they both have the skills in order to beat the other man. It's that you don't know who's going to show up in the best shape come Saturday. In terms of Marab Devashvili, what he has to do, yeah, like you said, the guy's a chain wrestler. He gets multiple takedowns over everybody. Here's the problem is that, well, you also highlighted it, is top control is not all that good. Two fights back against Cody Stamen, he gets five takedowns in that fight and gets a minute 40 worth of top control. Cody Stamen, meanwhile, got one takedown and got two minutes and 40 seconds of top control. So the one time that Cody Stamen landed up on top, he held Marab down. The five times that Marab took down Cody Stamen, he was never to hold him down at all. In terms of how his striking is, it's not bad for sure, but it's like that that big power aggression, old school Russian sambo where they just chuck leather, right? They they dip down and they throw. It's heat, it's heat, it's heat. But like a small or a smart technical fighter with good footwork, especially in good boxing, they should be able to exploit that, you would think. Now, his game's always pressure. Whether he gets a takedown or he doesn't, he's always coming at you. That's the reason he won the Cody Stamen fight. But in the Marlon Moraes fight, you saw maybe, you know, this guy can get countered. Here's the other thing, right? He got countered on the Marlon Moraes left hook. That's what ended up dropping him, which is probably Jose Aldo's best weapon. Like, he loves his hooks. He's got an excellent hook game. He'll rip him to the body. He'll try to rip him up top. He does have that 90% takedown ratio, which is very impressive. But check this. In, like, 25 WEC fights and UFC fights, like his entire WEC and UFC Zufa career, uh, only one guy has ever taken him down more than once. And it was Frankie Edgar who took him down twice. And he beat mm -hmm. Frankie Edgar in that fight. So, yeah, no one's traditionally had that success against him. And to say that, you know, you're going to go out there with a heavy game plan and doing it, I don't know. This is a five-round fight? I think I like Marab because he never stopped coming. And I think that a way to beat Jose Aldo is to break him down methodically with pace and pressure over time. Kind of like an Alexander Volkanovsky, kind of like a Peter Yon. It's like sustained damage down the stretch. But in a three-round fight, what he'll do is the same thing he did in the Marlon Vera fight. He'll catch you off guard. He lit him up in the first round with excellent striking. He took his back in the third round and secured the round. That's all you got to do, win two rounds. He's very capable of doing that. So if you say he's got a striking advantage over Marab, and I think we can all agree on that, mm -hmm. then he's got an excellent chance. Now, he's got the takedown defense to keep the fight standing. Again, all good stuff. Three-fight winning streak, solid three-fight winning streak. And same thing in the Rob Font fight. He's getting worked over. All the pressure is coming from Font. All the volume is coming from Font. And it's like you make a mistake trying to fight that pace because Aldo just needs to find that one opportunity. And the end result is he rocks Font basically every single round. And puts him through the ringer. So I think Jose is still, again, another one of these guys that's getting a little bit older, but probably still has something left in the tank for underdog money in this close of a fight. He's going to lose half the time, but I think he wins half the time. And if they're going to give us the plus money price tag on it and we need some underdogs on this card, then why not take the shot there? And so I think with Murad Vajvili, it might be a little bit of a you know flavor du jour. Everybody likes him right now, but his run includes... Gustavo Lopez, John Dodson, the Cody Stamen fight's actually very close. It's a 29-28. Go back and rewatch it. Very close fight. And then against Marlon, he almost gets knocked out twice in the first round. But what happens to Marlon Marias after two and a half minutes? Well, I think we all know the answer to that. And the same thing happened in that fight. Jose's not one of these guys that's just going to falter after two and a half minutes. So if he has you hurt, you could be in for a rough night. If you don't take him down... You could be in for a rough night. Well, and if you yeah. do take him down, but you can't hold him down, it could also be a rough night. So well, Marab can... beats him two years from now because I think Marab's still heading up and Jose's going to plateau or regress at some point. I just think for live dog money right now on Saturday night, I, I think I could be interested. 
Jose hasn't fought anybody with like that relentless of a takedown attack like like Deval Street. It's a very very interesting fight. Um, and yeah, we'll know very. I think we'll know pretty early in that fight how it's gonna play out. But yeah, don't forget that like you know Marab was almost finished by Marlon Marais early on in their fight. So yeah, it's risky biz all the way around. Um, not not a fight that I feel supremely confident in. Um, Lucy Pudilova takes on Wu Yanan, minus 115, Lucy Puds, and minus 105 for Wu Yanan. This got moved up to the pay-per-view today, because, uh, I guess, like, the concessions at the, at the Vivint Arena were like, hey, there's too many bangers here, like, we need, we need, we need, you know, we need a spot for, like, people to fill up on refreshments before, you know, the top three fights of the night. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this? I don't really. No, I honestly, yeah, I have nothing. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, what I will say with Lucy Pudilova is that when she came into the UFC the last time around, I remember she lost her debut against Lena Landsberg, and where she did not display a whole lot. She was 22 years old, so she fought her tenure in the UFC. She was known as a volume striker, moved kind of well laterally, I suppose, but takedown defense is going to be an issue. And fun, scrapper, entertaining, but extremely limited. So got released from the UFC, went to the back to her native Czech Republic uh, scene. And I think she's 5-1 and one on the regional scene since then. My issue is that it doesn't seem like she's really shored up her takedown defense or her grappling all that much. She's still the exact same fighter she used to be. Throws a lot of volume, down a scrap, but is there to get taken down. Lost to Toledo Bernardo, certainly a bad look. Split decision over this Marta uh, Czech fight. Again, this is a 5-3 and three regional show fighter uh, from the Czech Republic. You, you need to be going out there and dominating these girls if you want to get back to the UFC. Now, she is back on the, on the UFC on the basis of they need bodies. She's on a 5-1 and one win streak since she left the UFC the last time out. It makes sense. And against Wu Yanan, she's going to be able to stand in front of her and scrap, right? Again, I think she has better footwork, a little bit better hand speed, way better output. And uh, again, path of victory. With Wu Yanan, she's 1-3 in the UFC. Uh, abysmal has not looked good has the one armbar win over laura mueller but for the most part has kind of been taking advantage of but against jocelyn edwards like you could see her try to mix in the wrestling you could see her try to get the takedown you know in her last fight uh again same thing against uh bueno silva it's like she's trying to get the grappling going bueno silva is physically very strong right is mm -hmm. a strong fighter i think when you look at jocelyn edwards jocelyn edwards who fought at 145 two fights back is very physically strong these are strong fighters so she looks terrible against them, 100%. But there's definitely a chance to go out there and take down Lucy Pudilova, right? Because she does probably doesn't have the physicality or the grappling prowess of them. So I almost feel like Jan Munu is maybe due, for one. Lucy Pudilova has looked okay on the regional scene since being released and, and certainly could win this fight. But this is a greasy dogger pass. And uh, ever so slightly, because they're both the favorite when you really think about it. This is why House always wins. <laughs> There's no dog money on this fight. But I think I got to go with Wu Yanan on the basis of, you know, mid-level women's MMA fight, low-level women's MMA fight. Grappling is probably going to end up being key here. And she's got the grappling edge. So last week, there was another good uh, thing on the card, right? It was like most of the women's MMA fights, the underdog ended up coming through and hitting. So same thing here, right? Uh, expect the unexpected. I think Wu Yunan could mix in some grappling, but this is like the PRP pick, man. This is like all the way at the bottom because mm -hmm. you could watch tape on both of them and you're going to be left with the same questions. Yeah, the, the questions of what should I do with my 15 minutes when this Who's fight? worse? <laughs> the question is not who's better. That is not the question, Paul. It's not who's I'll better. It's I'll, who's I'll, worse. I'll join you on Wu, um, but yeah. I, Woo! 
Woo! Just because of that. Yeah, it'll be a lot more fun. But, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to be betting it. All right, we got uh, Tyson Pedro taking on Harry Hunsucker. Minus 800, Tyson Pedro. Plus 500 for Hunsucker. I mean, the guy's got suck in his name. Um, Tyson Pedro's manager must like he's just got him like the most cupcake matchups like does this all have to do with Tai Tuivasa like them being buddies and being like hey get Tyson Pedro some like confidence building fights he's a good guy really helps me out because it's like you go from in his last fight taking on you getting the Ike Villanueva treatment off of a four-year layoff to rolling you into Harry Hunsucker coming down to this division so maybe the weigh-ins will be like kind of interesting um Harry Hunsucker just gets flatlined by anybody with a shred of talent at the UFC level I mean Jared Vanderaa finished him by grand, ground and pound on contender series in three minutes and 34 seconds I mean the guy's durability wasn't great maybe it's because he was taking on big heavyweights but I have concerns about like moving down a weight class um, your durability wasn't great. How much is that going to suck out of Harry Hunsucker? Um, it's pretty much unbettable, minus 800. I mean, like, Tyson Pedro inside the distance is, like, minus 500. Um, the under one and a half rounds is gacked to minus 400. It's like, Tyson Pedro wins. Harry Hunsucker sucks. Well, but there's really nothing you can do with this. I mean, he'll be on your your PRP and all that jazz, but like you're completely priced out of it. You're starting to deal with banana peel pricing literally on every front. Yeah, well, it's a second ticket pick only for the simple reason that let's say you put him with Kamara Uzman at the top, but it's not it was not doing you any good. You get a four to one and an eight to one. Like I need I need someone to pair off with Uzman better at the top. But yeah, I think we all expect Tyson Pedro to get the win. But uh, yeah, you're right about the pricing, right? You're in banana peel pricing because he's way too big of a favorite. But also the way Harry Hunsucker fights is just go for it. The guy just goes for it. He's fought absolutely nobody on the regional scene. Did the math earlier, but I forgot. But it was something like his regional scene opponents combined for like a 33 and 60 record. Like he's fought abysmal talent on the regional scene. They almost all have losing records. And I'm talking dudes that were like one and nine. You know, 14 and 17. Like, it's bad news, man. And then when he fought Jared Vandera on the Contender Series, if you remember the fight, he just bum-rushes Vandera, actually clips him with a decent right hand right off the hop. Vandera eventually grabs a hold of him, takes him to the ground, and it's all she wrote after that. He comes to the UFC, gets tied to Ivasa. Bad news, tied to Ivasa, rips him apart. Justin Toffa. Justin Toffa is the only heavyweight history to miss weight. Miss weight for that fight. Came in at 267. <laughs> Unbelievable. But he gets head kicked in the first round. He brought the fight to Tafa, dude. He threw some wild shots. It's just mm -hmm. eventually skill discrepancy is going to catch up. At 205, man, he's going to be big. He's going to be a willing combatant. He has nothing to lose because he's likely getting cut anyways, and he's a mon you know, a monumental underdog in the spot. So what do you think he's going to do? He's going to come forward, and he's going to chuck bombs. Tyson Pedro is probably much better than him. We all know that. But, you know, the guy also did get knocked out by Shogun once upon a time. So, like, if he did get clipped, it would be a problem. And when I when you like betting these big favorites, you like the opponent being a rollover, with, which Harry Sucker, Hunsucker is. But, like, the rollover is not going to come out and chuck bombs, you know, and he's not going to be, a, you know, a big boy, big, strong boy. So, I don't know. In that regard, as an 8-1 favorite, there's, like, a little bit of things to uh, overcome. So, but, yeah. 
I don't know who's got a better manager. Uh, while I know Harry Huntsucker's manager, so I can't talk shit about my boy Pat Wilson. But it's like everybody he fights is this Maori warrior, dude. At first, they're like, fight tied to Ivasta. It's like, all right. It doesn't go good. Then they're like, you should fight Justin Taffa. And it doesn't go good. And now he's like, what? He's supporting the island community big time, Harry Huntsucker is. Uh, but I just don't think it's going to go all that well. Pedro, meanwhile, I gave him a pass in the like Villanueva fight because it was a four-year-long layoff. And he's still really young. I think he's like 31 years old. So he's still got lots to give. But he had some bad injuries, man. His body was broken down. So against Ike, what's he going to do? And all he did was kick his leg off. Against Harry, he's probably going to go in with a similar game plan. Harry's very flat-footed, very lumbering. He's probably going to look to cut to hit the leg. Harry's got terrible wrestling. You can see that in Toffa fight where he literally just crouches over at the hip and tries to pick him up for a single leg. Like bad, bad news here. So I don't think he's worked on it that much. But if he took down uh, Tyson Pedro, I think he's in trouble. Remember when Saperbeck Safarov took down Tyson Pedro just right into the Kimura? It would be much of the same here. He's got that much of a grappling discrepancy. But it's the stand-up, right? It's like don't get clipped. If you don't get clipped, he'll just chew up the lead leg, eventually slow him down, eventually go high and clip him with something. So I think you go Pedro. I, I I don't like to parlay props, so I'm not going to. But if you were going to play a straight play on Tyson Pedro, you're going to look for that inside the distance. And then particularly, probably by knockout. But yeah, again, Pedro knockout, actually does favor the submission. Yeah, the submission game is on is a little bit low key because Tyson Pedro actually almost prefers grappling for the most part. Mm-hmm. If this boy's going to get in front of you and chuck bombs, your best case is to try to take him down. And Harry Hunsucker shows a lot of knockout losses against these big heavy uh, heavyweights. But check back on the regional scene; he mostly just gets submitted by a first round rear naked choke. So I can see that actually, if you were like trying to get real value boy with it, oh, Pedro I... by submission would be the value play. I mean, uh, but outside of that, it's minus eight. He's eight. He's eight to one. What, what do you want to know? Harry Hunsucker round one KO slash TKO twenty five to one. I'm not saying to do it, but like if you put like the equivalent of like a Swiss Chalet family pack on it, you win a grand. So, not saying <laughs> well, I just hit submit, but. You know he'll 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 fight for your dollar. It's just like how good is he? <laughs> like like you know what I mean? Yeah, of course he's horrible. Oh, this guy fights for my dollar. It's like they're actually talented four, guys, right? Know. But Harry Hunsucker, the, what he what he's capable of at the end of the day is all that he's capable. Four percent probability. It's probably his path. He's gonna After have to land it. Last week's he's gonna call, have to land twenty-five to one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and don't have to bet a lot to win a shit spot. I mean, I, I put $40 on it to win a grand for uh, for everybody out there. Because, um, yeah, that's that's just how I roll. How big are these Swiss Chalet meals that you're getting? Family pack. Oh, family. Like, just for you? Uh, yeah. And his dog. 40 bucks at Swiss Chalet is a lot. Yeah, but, like. You're not seeing the economy you get, you get lately, a, You get a whole chicken. You get four sides. I mean, I've got celiac. So, it's like I have to get, like, baked <laughs> potatoes. It's a good Swiss Chalet if you have... Hey, stop laughing at me. It's just like it has Swiss LA is excellent. This is not brought to you by Swiss LA, but it any could sense. be though. If Swiss LA is out there, yeah, you want to give us money. It sounds like, like you're sheeping for them. They are man. excellent with their um you know, they got different sides, so it's like you can get different sides and you can avoid, you know, certain things with, with wheat in them. I mean, I, I like myself some some Swiss chalet. And their uh the the chalet sauce is gluten free as well. These are all things I've had to learn because otherwise I'm just like super sick and miserable and it lasts for multiple days. So, you know, 
I didn't want to be one of these gluten-free people, the highfalutin gluten people, but it's like it, it just came down to it. My body just said no mas. All right, that's enough of uh, that rambling. Um, but but, uh, but if you use promo code DOP at Swish LA, you get a free course chicken meal. <laughs> tell them tell Paul Shag sent you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. P Shag uh, sent Yeah, me. and tell them to sponsor the program. We would take a sponsorship from Swish LA, and I will shill it. I will eat dinner here you know, uh, on the show. I'm sure people would love that. Uh, uh, you get, you'd get greasy things on that laptop, pal. No eating Swish LA and type. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time there's been greasy things all over this. Trust me, I gotta clean this this laptop up. If I'm being completely honest, that was greasy. Very greasy. Very, very, very greasy. All right, we got Alexander Romanov taking on Marcin Tyboro. This fight was supposed to be on the pay per view, but it got bumped down, probably because ESPN's like, "Come on, man! Like, we need something to sell." our product on our uh, on our network so Romanov versus Tybor a great fight uh interesting fight minus 360 Romanov plus 295 Tybor your thoughts on this one Cody yeah normally you pull the trigger on Romanov and you have him very high to the top and it will probably be the case again here but I can't put him at the top because as you all know I've been getting stiff by heavyweight fights at the top so kind of got to learn my lesson there why would you have Romanov at the top again? Not just a 16-0 record, but he's got a significant wrestling advantage. His striking's getting a lot better. He's a guy with fast hands. He came from like a sumo base, right? Moldovan amateur wrestling champion, and then transitions to MMA. He's a work in progress, but he's largely training himself over in Moldova. He had spent some time in Maryland. As far as he's gotten is on the basis of just like extreme athleticism as a big man and some raw talent. But now he's at uh, Tiger Muay Thai over in Thailand. They got a whole cast of these big old heavyweights out there, most of them Russian. But his top training partner is uh, Sergey Pavlovich, who, as we all know from his recent knockout win over Derek Lewis, big, strong, hefty, and actually comes from a wrestling base himself. So Romanov appears to be in excellent shape. I think that he should be able to go there and roll up. Our question with him, of course, is the cardio because he's got so many first round finishes. Vandro is a second round finish. I didn't look tired in that one, but he's having his way. Then the Juan Espino fight. You had Juan Espino. I had Romanov. You might be right. You could have got screwed. I rewatched the fight twice more again today. Ah, Romanov might have won the first two rounds, but regardless, it's a close fight and he gasses and he probably takes the coward's way out and says, I can't continue in the third round. But it was at least good for him to go to those rounds. And I think that might have been something that has caused him to be like, I need to train with better guys and, and get out of my comfort zone. He's still young for this division. He's still improving a lot. But what can you take away from a quick route of Chase Sherman? Not a whole lot. What can you take out of this fight? If it stays standing, Tybor just seems to wait a little too long. He's very patient. You see him in the Greg Hardy fight. He just stands in front of him and almost gets knocked out in the first. But then, you know, Greg Hardy needs his inhaler and he gasses out and Tybor were able to take him down. But he waits way too long. And the Volkov fight didn't want to even strike with him at all. So he tried to take him down and went 0 for 12 on takedown attempts against Alexander Volkov. So he's kind of lost. His striking's not elite anymore. His wrestling's not elite. He's just a big body that kind of lumbers around in there. If Romanov chooses to stand with him, that would be the path of most resistance why would you want to strike with him but i still think he could beat him man he's got a fast left hand he's got a pressure guy he's gonna back him up towards the cage he'll unload with the barrage and as we've seen with tybor in the past he can't get knocked out certainly and if he decides to just cause throw a combination get him to raise his guard shoot under and take him down once you got 265 pounds of alexander romanov on you he's not it ain't good man is the big thing though <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, okay, right, right. He's slimmed down, certainly, from his days. Um, but still, he's a big, big, strong, competent boy. Once he gets on top, it's going to be an issue, I believe. So I think he can win stand-up. I think he can take him to the ground and win. The reason he doesn't end up on the top ticket is simple. One, they're big guys. You have to expect the unexpected. And two, as much as I can sit here and tell you he is training at a higher level and his cardio should be better and he is more mature, we've yet to actually see it. So he does have a little bit of proving to do in that regard. But <clears throat> Tybor's resurgence is done. He lost the last fight against Volkov. He looked lethargic. He's been off a year. He pulled out of his last fight due to an injury, and it wasn't even all that long ago. I, I would say at 36 or 37 years old, Marcin Tybora uh, is kind of trending downwards. And Romanov's still got a lot of big things to accomplish. So mind your P's and Q's, of course. It's a fight. You got to do what you got to do. But I still think the, the big the big Roman, or sorry, the big Moldovan fighter gets the job done uh, once the night's done. Yeah, I generally kind of agree with you. I see a lot of people bringing up like the Juan Espino fight. Juan Espino is an excellent grappler. Um, excellent. I, I mean, very famously, we were on this program. I had Espino. You had Romanov. Romanov said no mas wins the you know the technical de decision on like the weakest nut shot of all time says i can't fight anymore he was so gassed i mean that one i mean i got it back on you for in a different fight so it's like yeah i'm i'm very aware that it's like if the wrestling doesn't go well for for alexander romanov things can get really dicey but like i actually rate juan espino's wrestling hopefully he gets back soon he had like serious injury with his uh with his arms like both of them he had like had to get like surgery on like his uh like ten tennis elbow like serious on both but yeah like Romanov I think it was kind of very interesting against uh Jared Vanderai came in at 265 pounds and then we didn't see him for and it was pretty quick to be perfectly honest. it was what six months later he shows up against Chase Sherman he's 30 pounds lighter a lot of people are, you know, thinking about ele uh, elevation and altitude here. It's just like, I think Romanov kind of was like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to go shot for shot with a guy like Francis Ngannou. So, like, my path to victory in this division is to be a little bit lighter, a little bit faster. Maybe you give up a little bit of, uh, you know, domineering ability on top, like being able to just lay on top of guys. But... Yeah, I think uh, you know profiles are moving in opposite directions right now. I'm picking Romanov to win. We'll see where the line ends up by the end of the week. Never been a big Tybora guy. Could he win? Yeah, it's heavyweights. Heavyweights be heavyweights. Maybe he lands that, uh, like that, you know, that kick to the head, or maybe he really does drain Romanov out, and we see Romanov kind of falter in round three. But I'm gonna I'm gonna back the Moldovan here, and it seems like a lot of people have been, uh, you know, making it a little bit more palatable on the Romanov side. Uh, as the week has gone along, Marcin Tibor, a very popular dog pick in the community. Uh, Romanov over two and a half takedowns on prize picks before we get out of there. Um, I mean, that's a good line. Romanov, good line. Th he good had line. three against Sherman and finished him in the first round, five against Damn. Vandera, f uh, finished him in the second round. Espino, it was 4 2 for Espino. Espino's a great wrestler, and like that was kind of part of my process when I picked Espino in that spot. Um, uh, four against, uh, Roki Martinez. So it's like this guy spams takedowns, doesn't have the greatest top control. And he's probably going to be giving up like 15 pounds or so of weight. I think to Tybora, we'll see what he, what it's like when they hit the scales, but two and a half takedowns seems pretty manageable unless he gets like deaded in the first, in the first round. 
Uh, so over two and a half takedowns, Alexander Romanov on prize picks. Promo code DOP if you're making a new account. Help out the show and help out your bankroll. I think we've been giving pretty good picks, especially when Quad P at the end will pipe in with what he thinks is the best of what we've been talking about. Oh, we, we, we swept the board outside of the main play last week, which killed everything. It would have been yeah. such a problem. Odie Osborne yeah. by decision. I had him bet by decision plus 240. I thought I was feeling pretty good about that for the first like two minutes, and then he was dead. I mean, he did he went, he went for a, he he threw a flying knee, he he threw a flying knee and just got countered. It was just like ah, uh, so stupid. But like, I kind of thought. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, I thought it was it was well on its way. I think um, to getting to over like fifty five and a half significant strikes. Just you know. Play play stupid uh, play stupid games win stupid prizes is that what they say? I think that's what that they is say. what they say. All right, we got Jared Gordon taking on Leo Santos minus two fifty five Gordon plus two fifteen Santos Gordon coming off of like a third round submission loss to Grant Dawson Leonardo Santos is forty two years old, um, not exactly in the prime of his career by any stretch of the imagination. Here's the thing. He's old. He hasn't been doing all that well. Um, this could be the end of the line, but Jared Gordon, anytime he gets hurt, he really reverts to that wrestling. Um, like anytime he gets cracked, if he gets a little bit tired, I mean, you know, his chin has always been a little bit dodgy and he always goes to the wrestling to kind of bail him out. I worry that if he does get compromised to the chin, I don't think Santos's wrestling is all that good. So I don't think he's going to be able to like just pursue takedowns and do it with any sort of success. But if he, if Santos does clip him a little bit, Gordon shoots him for a takedown. Santos should have a pretty big advantage on the ground. I took a little small sprinkle of Santos sub plus 900. Um, I'm going to pick him over the, uh, as a plus two fifty. Plus 215 dog as well. Don't know if I'm going to get to the money line, but uh, sub prop seemed pretty spicy at plus 900, so I couldn't help myself. What's your take here? Out of curiosity, what's the KO prop? Because like, if I was going to attack the same. Leo Santos, yeah, it's about the same. Yeah, honestly, if he's going to win, it'll probably be catching him with something. With Jared Gordon, it's not like they're not elite level guys like Charles Oliveira, Carlos Diego Ferrer. Like, these guys are all heavy hitters, but yeah, maybe at times it's looked like his chin is a little bit vulnerable. And, of course, I just think that Leo Santos has super underrated power. The guy's not a striker. The guy's not a good striker, right? He's a BJJ guy. He's a long, gangly BJJ guy. And then you see him go out there and knock out Kevin Lee in the first round. It's like, oh, damn, he's got some power, but maybe he got lucky. And then years later, the Stevie Ray knockout, it was like, damn, this guy's got a clean right hand. If he hits you, he's got some power. And then even that last fight with Clay Guida, like, it's a loss. Sure, it, it's a loss, 100%, but like a bad referee might have stopped that in his favor in the early going. Well, he had Clay Guida big-time hurt to the body, so his striking is actually a little bit uh, underrated, and I think that he's a fast starter and Jared Gordon's a slow starter, and therefore, if he's going to catch him with something, it's going to happen early. So I, I can see live underdog. It's just my I don't got the colonies for it, man. I think this is an excellent live betting spot because either Leo Santos is going to, in fact, finish him early or Jared Gordon's just going to eventually grind him down, break him down and then take the win later on. And that's kind of what I'm, I, I'm thinking I'm going to bank towards when you look at Leo Santos, man, it ain't pretty dude. This is like, I don't want to waste your time. So I'll rifle it through, but his fight with Norman park, he gassed out Norman park, lost a point for grabbing the shorts. That's why it's a draw. His fight with Efren Escudero. If you rewatch it, Oh my God, bad 
Very lazy, very gassed out. His fight with Adriano Martins, one of the worst fights he's ever seen, completely gassed out. His fight with Roman Bogatov, he wins the first two rounds. In the third round, he's completely gassed out. And Bogatov loses two points for kneeing him while he's on the ground. But he's cooked, man. He's a fish out of water flopping on his back. He's never had a fight go into a third round where he was not gassed. The subsequent fight with Grant Dawson, the first two rounds, not bad, not bad. The third round, he's unbelievably gassed and actually gets knocked out for the first time. That's how tired he is. And then the fight with Clay Guida, he tried to finish Clay early and gassed himself out and then quit and got rear naked choked by Clay Guida, of all people. Where was his legendary grappling there? It was his cardio. He's 42 years old. His cardio's not getting any better. And one thing about Jared Gordon is he makes a lot of mistakes, no doubt about it. He got cardio. He got pace. He got pressure. That's usually how he wins. Similar to the Joe Selecki fight, Joe Selecki took him down in the first round, took his back in the first round. He had to survive. He tired Selecki out in the process. Second round, takedown's not so easy for Joe Selecki. Third round, it's all of a sudden Jared Gordon taking over, landing ground and pound, doing some good top control. He's a BJJ brown belt under, under John Denneher. That's got to count for something. And he's also currently at Sanford MMA, where he trains with some of the best guys in the world. He'll be properly equipped to go out there and do the damn thing. He's just got to make sure you don't get clipped early. So I will take Jared Gordon. Uh, probably by decision, but regardless, I will take Jared Gordon. But I got this earmarked as like one of my potential apple pie shitters that I, I can't have too much investment in it. Because it's like I could see things going wrong. And again, on, on Leo Santos's best day, he could knock out Jared Gordon in the first round or you're saying submission prop. And I could see the same thing. Maybe he hurts him, but then ends up taking the submission. All possible. Or they're up against the but, back and he like takes his back or something like that. Something but look at the guy's... Yeah, but think about the guy's ring IQ for a second. So he hurts Clay Guida to the body, right? Clay Guida falls down. He smacked him. Clay's on all fours with his neck hanging right out. At any point, he could have snatched the neck. At any point, he have tried to just pivot over and took him in the back. And I'm he hoping didn't. he's learned his lesson. He just kept punching and then he tired himself out. Ah, he's 42, man. Oh, like, I, know, I know, I know, I know. You're not wrong, though, dude. So, when I bet nine know. to ones, it's like, you're not going to get me being like, this is totally yeah. happening. I mean, it's like what, 11, 12% pr probability? Like, I don't expect it to hit. Well, I, I, dogs I have more well, expectation of, them, of so. that hitting than I do of Harry Hunsucker round one TKO, but, you know, uh, them's Fair the enough. breaks. All right, move on. Let's move on. We've got uh, Sean Woodson taking on Luis Saldana. Minus 340 Woodson, plus 280 Saldana. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, this one's another one that I, I believe it's going to come down to cardio. I mean, Luis Saldana is extremely talented. While he started off his career a little bit rough, I think he was like 14 and 6 before he kind of really got going. And then you've seen since then, I mean, he's got a really long rangey kickboxing game. He's got a lot of output, nasty kick variety. I believe he's missing a finger, so he overcompensates with his feet. And the guy's just very active. Problem is, is that kicking is very tiring and his cardio don't look all that good. So he typically tends to tire out the longer the fights go. And against Sean Woodson, the guy's got freakishly long arms, man. He's got a 78-inch reach. It's a 5-inch reach advantage over Luis Saldana. But basically, if you're going to go out there and have a kick versus punch game plan, it can usually be very effective. Thing is, this dude's arms are much longer than your legs. And I think that's going to be a problem. I think he's just going to get countered. Every time he tries to go to that kick, I think Woodson's going to come over the top. He's going to use the jab. He's going to be able to uh, dictate the range a lot better. And with Sean Woodson primarily with the boxing, but the volume is there 100%. His last fight, it's a first-round knockout, and he had landed 50 significant strikes to that point, 450 into the round. Mm -hmm. He's got the output. You know, Colin Anglin maybe a lower-level opponent, but you see what he's capable of with straight boxing. Now, now, he had been taken down in every other fight he's had, including his uh, fight with Terrence McKinney on the Contender Series, where he gave up two. 
The dude usually gets taken down, has to work his way up, then gets his boxing going. Gets taken down, has to work his way up, gets his boxing going. If it gets Luis Saldana, I don't think Luis Saldana is going to try to take him down. No. And I, I don't I, like he might try. You know, he took down Bruno Souza a couple times, but I just don't think that that's the path. And so if giving up six inches of reach. Yeah, if you're getting touched up from the outside, we're in the big cage. We're not in the, in the small uh, apex arena. Like I think that you're going to have one guy in Sean Woodson that's going to be able to utilize every inch of it, get his boxing going, get the combinations going, get the output going. And Luis Saldana will try to match him with the output. But one, he's going to get countered when he throws when he throws his kicks. And two, he doesn't have the cardio to keep up the pace with Sean Woodson. So I got Woodson. You know, that's why I tweet stuff out on Saturday because it's like nothing's ever locked in. But Woodson's going to need to be one of these guys that's likely high up because he's a relatively okay price tag considering some of the other guys. We've already outlined the problem with Romanov, right? You know, Tybor's a live dog. People have noticed that. And it's a little bit iffy. Our other guys on the card that were right about to talk about Miranda Maverick, it is a women's MMA fight at the end of the day, and she's still a bit of a high price tag. Harry Hunsucker, he's, he's going to swing to the fences against Tyson Pedro. It's like, I need one of these guys that's like, you know, a three to one, sub three to one that I can pair off at the top. And Sean Woodson, I think he's got all the skills to go out there and deliver. And so he's someone I'm, uh, I'm looking to highlight this weekend. Yeah, I like Woodson as well. Price kind of scares me a little bit. I kind of had some interest in some of like the later props because I think Luis Saldana, if he's fighting at the pace that Woodson usually sets, I really see him drowning in this spot. But like at least the initial openers I see right now aren't exactly all that fun. I mean, round three, Woodson opened up at nine to one, and then it got moved to seven to one, like pretty quickly. So, other people are on that on that page as well. Yeah, I mean, he'll be in your PRP. I don't know if I'm gonna get to this this week, but Woodson's the pick for me. Moving on down, we got Miranda Maverick taking on Shanna Young, minus six fifty. For Miranda Maverick, Shannon Young can be had for plus 475. Is this the Pat Mayo just blindly bet the underdog at like close? I mean, is it? It's probably still moving. Like, do I want to bet Shannon Young? No. Plus 475. I'm starting to get a little bit of interest here, Cody. Pat. Uh, the answer is yes. The moment <laughs> I, I didn't even see what the I saw. It was two women on the graphic, and then I saw the odds. Yeah. Plus 450, let's get it at plus 550 or something, and we'll win for sure. Yeah, I think Maverick's good. I think she's got all the skills. I think she has, like, um, like decent training partners and all that. I don't rate Shanna Young very highly whatsoever. Um, but facts are facts. Like, at minus 650, you're just looking for, like, a bad day from Miranda Maverick. Like not being able to, uh, I think like her prize picks totals is or for her takedowns is like set at two. I don't really know where she gets with that. The under in this fight is at uh, is pretty close to a pick'em, which I found kind of interesting. Yeah, I I kind of just think like this is just uh, she's not Kayla Harrison. So minus six fifty just seems like you're just asking. You're asking for some disaster. Now, Marina Maverick trains in, like, Denver, so she's probably used to altitude. There's a lot of things working in her in her favor. Do I think she wins? Yes. Am I touching minus 650 with a 10-foot pole? God, no. Am I going to bet Shanna Young? Not yet. We'll see. If, if I get, like, plus, I don't know. We'll see where the price goes 
and maybe because I'm a degen this week and most weeks, maybe I get there. But Maverick wins minus six fifty is is comedy, Cody. Yeah, well, it's basically because we've already seen the fight before happen in 2019 and the Invicta FC banner, and uh, it's because it's a tournament, right? So it was a one-round fight. So you only fight the person for one round, and in that one round, Random Maverick took her down, took her back, choked her out with a rear naked choke in about two and a half minutes. At the time of that fight, uh, Shayna was 28 years old and Random Maverick was 22 years old. So I think he was uh, understanding right then and there one was a legit prospect on the way up. And, you know, Shayna Young is, she's strong, she's physical. She wrestled a little bit back in uh, high school and I think at Eastern Tennessee for a bit. Yeah, okay, she, she, she's strong, but she just got routed by a 22-year-old. Like, where's the ceiling for her? Now, she actually used to be a ring card girl for Valor FC, then eventually started fighting for Valor FC and then worked her way up. She's got a kid. She's got a full-time schedule. By all accounts, everybody that's close to her is like her career not going nowhere. And she loses her first two UFC fights. But then by her account, and I'll give her props for this, ditches the kid. Well, I don't give her props for that part. But moves to Las Vegas. She's moved to Las Vegas by herself. She's out there by herself. She just trains. She grinds. And then the Macy Chase, sorry, the uh, Gina Mazzani fighter last time out, she physically looked a lot better shape. Her clinch game was a lot better. And it's a low-level win over Gina Mazzani. But that's the best that Shayna Young had ever looked until that point. So it's possible at 31 years old that she's – you know, turn the corner. She's training at Syndicate with some of the best fighters in the world. She's clearly, you know, taking her strength and conditioning seriously. She's strong. She's very physical. Everybody that's worked with her will tell you how strong she is, especially, you know, for a, a women's MMA fighter. I'm, I'm not saying that disrespectfully. Like, she's strong for any weight class, I suppose. But like, I think that she has some lapses in her technique. In her technique, and with Miranda Maverick, I mean, what has she got going for her? Her physicality. The girl's absolutely shredded, man. Shut redded and whereas she's lacking some technique and some spots as well like this is Bino Mazo fight striking don't look good she's got an ability to just muscle you to the ground and against Shayna Young she's done it once before I think she'll do it again but yeah it's women's MMA man five to one like who likes that and I can't put it at the top because it's a bad price tag and the variables are just so much higher here but yeah I think Brandon Maverick's done it once she'll do it again and uh, it's no disrespect to Shayna Young in the slightest bit I just think it's going to take a little bit longer for her to catch back up, considering that the early portion of her career was probably not wasted, but, you know, kind of stalled out, I suppose. Coming in, coming in hot from the uh, from the smashing of uh, Gina Mazzani. But Gina Mazzani. It's Gina Mazzani. I mean, you got crushed by Gina that week because you did not believe in Shana Young, so... So I got crushed by Gina Mazzani against your girl, Priscilla Cachoeira, which of course, but it was like, she was dominating Cachoeira until she completely gassed out. So the thought process is like, sure to God, James Krause, sure to God, Tim Elliott, sure to God, the whole camp shores up her, her cardio, but no, but I will give one thing. Gina's very strong for about three and a half, four minutes. Right. Mm-hmm. And against Shana Young, the difference was like, oh, is the shit. cardio for sure. Yeah, yeah, the car- cardio is going to be a, a huge here. And Miranda Maverick's been in those later rounds. She's been able to, yeah, she's beaten a better level of competition. Of course, her losses to, are also to a better level of competition. She shows a one and two record in her last three, but not one single person scored that fight for Macy Barber, right? So realistically, she should be on a nice little run with one lone loss to Aaron Blanchfield who is, is an absolute killer within the division. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I know I'm making excuses for Miranda Maverick, but I do feel like she the best is yet to come. And with Shayna Young, excellent gatekeeper, right? If you beat her, cool. If you don't beat her, yeah, this is probably not for you. 
But we'll see because she is making improvements. You can't take that away from her. So we'll either see the best version of her yet and she'll pull some huge underdog win or uh, or she won't. And Pat's not wrong in spamming these because, again, if you go by his spam all of them bet, you just came off of Angela Hill win last weekend amongst another couple of uh, women's MMA underdog hits. And, yeah, for every 3-1, to 4-1 to one you eventually hit, you're going to lose a few. Yeah, but this is another one where the price is generally right. And I- I'm not saying random Mavericks a world beat. I'm not. This is another case of who's going to screw up more often. And it's got to be Shannon Young, right? I got to go with the probability here. Miranda Maverick's way too big of a favorite, but that doesn't cause me to change the pick outright. So got to go with her. We got AJ Fletcher taking on NJ Lusa. Minus 160 Fletcher, plus 140 Lusa. Who you got here? Yeah, well, I was actually hoping you would kick it off just because mm. I know you've got uh, a thing for AJ Fletcher. And, you know, I think he can win this fight. The line looks right on it. But Andre Lusa, like, I almost feel like I'm getting fooled in this guy. Like, he's he's got some credentials. He was an excellent, um, you know, burgoing MMA fighter over in Switzerland, known for his kickboxing skills. And then he lands on the Contender Series. Actually, his first fight, stateside, I don't know, this Jonathan Hubbard for LFA, right? It's like, okay, he'll run through here. This is his first fight, stateside. He looks good, drops a split decision. Bad look. The next time, he's against Jack uh, Madalena, who we all know Jack Dell is the man now. But at the time, that was an even money fight. Andre Lusa went out there and he had no sense of urgency. But but of course, Jack Della just throws so much that it was like, fair, fair enough. You couldn't keep up with the output. That's fine. Then he takes a fight with John Howard on the regional scene. And he didn't want to strike with John Howard. He took him down the entire time. His wrestling is not very good, but good enough to take down John Howard. But it was strange to me. that It was like, this guy's a striker. Just lost to Jack Della. We'll give him a pass there. But now he's taking down John Howard. Interesting. And then the Manu Lazez fight, it's another fight where he just went through the motions, you know, like he was a plus 160 underdog, but fight metric will tell you he landed 88 significant strikes. When you watch back the fight, he is landing a few shots here and there, but nothing's got any real ill intention on it. Nothing's got any real power. Nothing's real eye catching. It just almost seems like he goes through the motions and allows his opponents to generally pull away from him. The thing is that AJ Fletcher is not going to go out there and try to outstrike him because he's still unpolished. He's unrefined, you know. His striking game will be good in pockets, but as we saw against Matthew Summonsberger, he can't stay striking for a full five minutes. As far as his wrestling goes, listen, the kid played football. He's a freak athlete. He's extremely strong. And Mm -hmm. I think he could go take down Andalusa and just lie on top of him. But I would have to know that his cardio improved because as we saw in the Summonsberger fight, he definitely got gassed out and the Summonsberger was able to turn it on. So I am taking NJ Fletcher. I know maybe this is just a swat to chase some random underdog again, but I honestly feel like Fletcher gave me the scare of my life against Summelsberger when I tried to fade him. You can see the kid's got something. He just needs a little more seasoning. Lost to Summelsberger, probably good for him long run. Whereas Angelusa, not that impressed when I see him, and he just he goes through the motions. His takedown defense, you know, if, if it's good enough to keep the fight standing, he probably wins. He is at Sanford MMA or Kill Cliff. I keep calling it Sanford. Got to get adjusted. He is at Kill Cliff FC, right? So no doubt he's training with some of the best guys in the world, but... Fletcher just seems like one of these guys that could be a dog and a bone, man. Physically strong, gets after it. Minus 155, he's like the best price guy in terms of favorites on this card, like a playable line. Um, but again, it's not it's not a lock. It's not a sure thing at all. I don't know what you're thinking about it, but I, I am going to take Fletcher. Fletcher by decision, use the wrestling. Um, yeah, Angelusa just let me down too many times at this point. Yeah, I had Fletcher at like plus 205 against Semmelsberger in that spot. Uh, there was a book that was like a little bit slow to the to the draw, or they had they hung a bad line, uh, hit that, and um, 
I thought he fought, yeah, quite well. It was very, very close, very, very greasy. One of those close fights that just didn't really go my way. My biggest problem with this fight is, yeah, Angie Lusa, I haven't really seen him being, uh, be exploited in the wrestling. The, uh, you know, his durability seems to hold up. He's obviously at a very good camp. It's like, if this guy can really spam takedowns, I think this is a pretty clear dogger pass type of spot here. What I do like on prize picks is uh, over 12 and a half minutes. It's already on uh, multiple cards of mine. Over 12 and a half minutes. It's like minus 185 in other spots. Um, it's, a, it's a really solid... Uh, the, the fight time's on prize picks this week. There's uh, definitely some edges in terms of what is out there on the market. I think both of these guys are pretty durable. Uh, Fletcher hadn't really been extended in his run up to uh, Semmelsberger. He gassed you know, a little bit down the stretch, you know, losing positions um, when it mattered the most. But that fight was on, like, relative short notice. Like, I don't think he got, like, a full, full training camp heading into it. Because I don't know if, like, Angelusa's takedown defense could be super solid. I don't really know if AJ Fletcher's wrestling is, like, amazing. And I think Lusa's a better striker. So I think it's a dogger pass for me. I'm going to pick Lusa. Pat. In this fight, should I be worried about this guy's haircut? Like, this guy's in the UFC? Come on now. Is that like... You the, wouldn't say that to his face, No, Pat. I wouldn't, but I mean... <laughs> no, I, I'm not at that. his face. Yeah, I'm I wouldn't say nothing to Harry like, Hunsucker either, Is this guy like man. Brother Muzone from The Wire? Like, he, he dresses Is down. that... That's the type of haircut you're gonna, you're gonna take shots at? Or yeah, I mean, like, give me... Like, put Blood Diamond's haircut on AJ Fletcher. Now I'm fucking terrified. AJ Fletcher is a unit. I mean, he's five foot ten, 170 pounds, just shredded muscle. Played, yeah, played college football, University of Louisiana at Lafayette. Like, guy's a good athlete. Um, Pat doesn't like his haircut. You're gonna hate Bryce Mitchell's haircut when we get when we get to that. Maybe it's. I think it's just a Southern thing. They they got like you know the good old Christian man type of uh, you know. 1950s no 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 the haircut you're talking about is the is the johnny unitas the one you can set your watch to like <laughs> you got out of the navy no, in Bryce 1946. Mitchell looks like he's got like had a bowl like he's got like the the full out bowl cut where it looks like somebody put a bowl over his head and trimmed everything i understand straight. what a bowl cut is yeah um yeah, I mean, it's, southern, yeah. it's a southern it's maybe it's just southern style who knows i'm not gonna judge so- people's haircut on the program Paul, Cody? Paul's not entirely wrong, right? So I just got back from Nashville this past weekend, and then I'm at the weigh-ins for the show, and it's like the amateur portion, and this kid, like, walks up, and he's not very big, man. Like, I don't know. He might have been, like, five foot four, five foot five, Tennessee kid, this exact same haircut, right? And he's standing around, and then he's, like, he has to promote. He's like, oh, what, what time can I weigh in? The promoter's like, oh, we're just going to do the amateur portion after the pro portion. So I, like, ask the promoter, I'm like, yo, yo, this, this guy's weighing in. And he's like, yeah, yeah, man. And I'm just like, how old is he? And he's like, uh, he's 18 years old. I'm like, okay, yeah, he looks every bit of it. Looks like he's 15, but 18, fair enough. <laughs> Kid gets on the stage, takes his shirt off. He is shredded, dude. He's got a 9, 10-pack all the way to the ground. I was like, yo, who, who's this kid again? He says, this is Sammy Schurz, Sammy the Shyster, 55 and 0 this last past year is high school wrestling for the state of Tennessee, won a, uh, or, uh, won a state championship for the state, and then finished seventh at nationals, got all American status, 55 and 0 his senior year. And he was just taking an amateur fight. 
because he's currently got a scholarship and he's it's the summertime. So he was just like, I'll just take a fight and just blast double like the guy got in full mount, pounded him out all within the man, about a minute, minute and a half. The most unassuming kid you've ever seen. And a hundred percent, once he finishes his high school or his uh, college wrestling career, you'll see this kid down the road for sure. But he just like not the kind of guy you met wanted to mess with. And look him up. You're sitting at home, you're on your computer, like he was the most unassuming kid with his shirt on, same old haircut. Like Paul said, it might be a Southern thing. Them good old boys. But once them good old boys put hands on you. <laughs> so yeah, he's a prospect to look out for down the road. But yeah, all the same. You know who's got another he's goofy young. haircut? My boy Nate Landwehr. You know where my boy Nate Landwehr from? Clarkston, Tennessee. So uh, yeah, yeah. They all kind of have the same haircut. All about that that. I know, right? Maybe parts. it's just a style down there. They're all tough, though. I'll give them that. Yeah. Definitely, definitely certified tough. Yeah, he's built like a fire hydrant. So, but yeah, I think Andre Lusa does have a, like a striking or at least volume striking advantage. Like maybe Fletcher hits a little bit harder, but Lusa's really held up against some decent competition so far and, and seen the final bell. Yeah, I think it's dog or pass here. I'm not convinced that Fletcher's just going to be able. Uh, if I knew that Lusa was just like a complete bum wrestler, it'd be a different story, but like I'm not sure. I think he's been working on it quite a bit, and I'm not convinced that Fletch is going to be able to take him down. So, yeah, at plus 140, I think Luce is worth worth a look. Uh, moving on down, we got Amir Albazi taking on Francisco Figueredo. Minus 500 for Albazi. Figgy can be had for plus 385. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, well, again, it's just you got a massive favor here in Albazi, but we all love Albazi. The kid looks the real deal at 125 pounds, was very credited on the Swedish regional scene as well as the uh, over in the Middle East who's fighting for UAE Warriors, you know, that brave CF kind of circuit. And again, the guy's got the skills. He's got excellent striking. He's got good grappling. You saw him transition over the UFC, smoked out Malcolm Gordon out of there. Malcolm Gordon for the record, BJJ black belt, and yet under George Brito, you know, pretty high-level stuff. And Albazi's just super fluid. He's super relaxed. He seems like he's got a very bright future. So I just think that the kid's operating on a different level. Figgy, meanwhile, you know, his claim to fame is his brother. This is what it is at the end of the day. I mean, he is very talented. Don't get me wrong. But it, when you're compared to your brother as a world champion, that's what the talk is going to be. And everyone's always wondered, well, maybe he's got some power because his brother's got some power. Maybe he's going to get better because he's actually the younger brother, right? He's still got some years to go. But you just don't see a transition. The biggest problem for him has always been his cardio. When you see him on the regional scene, he tends to gas out a whole lot, right? He's got a draw prior to even signing with the UFC. It's just, man, this guy's cardio doesn't check out. Against Jerome Rivera, uh, he largely uses grappling, but that's not a good performance. Against Malcolm Gordon, he gasses. He gasses. The first round, he does okay, right? It's super low pace. He doesn't let his combinations throw. He doesn't got the same power as his brother. He can't knock out Malcolm Gordon, who's not really known for the, the, the best durability, I suppose, but it was him gassing out. That's what causes him to lose it. And then against Daniel Lacerda, he just rolls up on an Evar like a minute in. So did he shore up his cardio? Is his cardio any better? Like, I'm going to have to say that's a hard no for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's it's not got any better. He can maybe submit somebody in the first round. He can maybe catch somebody in the first round. But if you look at his record, he's not really known for his power. And then outside of that submission went over Lacerda, he's not really known for some opportunistic grappling. So I don't know where he beats Albazi. Because if it stays standing, Albazi's a better striker, has better volume. On the ground, I think Albazi's got the better technique. I just think he's better all over. Now, 125 pounds, there's less uh, there's less mistakes going on. Well, there's more room for mistakes, I suppose. Like, you can take a shot clean 
and then bounce back from it. Like it's going to be more of a pace. It's going to be more of a grind. We're going to get some ring time in it. And if that all favors all Bozzi, just breaking this guy down, tiring him out and having his way. Again, you're just in another situation where you've got a five to one favorite in Amir al versus somebody that has a bit of a name and could in theory be getting better. And when you look al all he did, you know, he's still young, but yeah, I thought he looked good against Malcolm Gordon. I thought he looked good in his second fight against Zalga Zumbulov. And uh, he's still very young, so I would expect, you know, improvements coming out of him. He should win the fight. Again, it's just, it's minus 500. So he's got the kind of price tag that would suggest you want him at the top ticket. But I don't know. I kind of feel like maybe he's a second ticket kind of guy. I, I don't know who yet I'm putting with Usman at the top. Like, that's the million-dollar question so far. But we still got a f- few more fights to figure that out, and then we'll run through the PRP. Yeah. I, I generally agree with most of it. I mean, Amir Albazi beating Jalgas is a pretty impressive win. Francisco Figueredo. I mean, we'll get to Daniel De Silva in a bit. It's like, I mean, it was kind of surprising that he did it that quickly because Daniel De Silva is more of a guy that it's like you gas him out and uh, and break him down. I don't really know if the guy can fight. Um, you know, if if you looked at like the Jeff, Jeff Molina fight with Daniel De Silva, I don't really know if he can fight 15 minutes. And, you know, that's why we were talking about Altamirano versus uh, De Silva under two and a half rounds or under 12 and a half minutes on prize picks. We'll get to all of that. I like Albazi, but again, it's like a minus 500. Figueredo is an underdog that I will not be getting to. Um, not not a fan of not a fan of his. Not a big. I mean, his, the volume isn't really quite there. I really don't think he can exploit anything that Albazi does. If they do get to the ground, like I don't think he's going to be able to submit Amir Albazi. So it's like I, I kind of feel like Francisco Figueredo, without having any sort of yeah, without giving up the cardio edge that I would give to Albazi. I just really don't see too many paths to victory for Francisco Figueredo. Bad figgy gonna have a bad night but minus 500 it's it's really tough it's it's tough for me to to find much value on that line uh we got orichi lang taking on jay perrin orichi lang a minus 145 favorite perrin can be had for plus 125 this line is really really steamed people like themselves some perrin perrin has been training with marab i believe and um and uh, Aljamain Sterling heading into this fight. He's been very vocal on social media saying that this is going to be his best performance. Um, he had a pretty good, you know, pretty good showing against Mario Batista. Going to the decision didn't look completely out of it. Like, it was somewhat competitive. That's not, I mean, Mario Batista is a decent, decent fighter all the way around. So, I think the initial opening lines were a little bit wide. Of course, and that's why it's uh it's getting it's probably gonna go off closer to a pick'em here. So I'll pick Perrin at minus at plus one twenty five. I think I missed most of the best part of the line. Both guys pretty durable in this spot. Arichi Lang, known as the Mongolian murderer. Perrin, I do not believe has been knocked out. Let me just confirm that. He's been subbed, but yeah, hasn't been knocked out. Um, yeah, I'm picking Perrin, uh, but I don't know if I'm, I think I kind of missed the boat on this line move. So it's a pass for me. What about you? 
Yeah, actually, so this is the one of two underdogs that I did have, but it seems like a lot of people are on the same page for Jay Perrin. But I'm hoping they got a better inside piece of info than I do because I was just spamming the, I think he has a wrestling advantage, and I'm hoping he's going to take him down. Jay Perrin I had very little expect expectations for. We saw him lose to Dwight Joseph on the Contender Series, won a couple fights on the you know Massachusetts regional scene, comes back, and he's taking on my boy, Mario Batista. Now, I'm a big Batista fan, right? The kid's an excellent athlete, trains out of an excellent gym at the MMA lab. Good striking, strong, physical, good wrestling. Perrin looked good in the clinch, man. Physically strong. Was able to take Mario Batista down a couple times. You know, you go back to the Dwight Joseph fight on the contender series, he scores four takedowns. His wrestling is not bad. His physicality is not bad. But he is coming up close against those upper echelon guys, those top grappling type guys. So against Richie Lang, like, I don't know. I go back to the Cody Durden fight where Cody Durden, he's beating him standing. And Durden just dips down and bulls him over time, time again, ends up getting five takedowns on 10 attempts. And that ends up being the key difference makers, his ability to just take him down, take him down, grind him out. Then against Cameron Else, remember we were talking about earlier, there's certain fights you just can't overthink. The Jason Witts of the world, the common worthies of the world, certain guys, they're just not there to take the damage. The Luke Rockholds of the world. Yeah, Cameron Ellis just didn't seem like he was there to take a shot. So the Mongolian murder has a spectacular knockout win over him, no doubt. But Perrin's going to take those shots. Perrin's going to take those shots. He's going to come forward. He's going to try to grab a hold of him. He's going to try to take him down. That seems to be the key to success. Now, as you mentioned, take that same guy, put him over in New York, let him train with Aljamain Sterling, let him train with Murad Devashvili. What do you think the game plan is going to be coming out of it? Wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. Capable of doing it. I think he can go out there and, and, and you know, kind of put that game plan to proper use. And so for that reason, he's a live underdog. But of course, the more that money comes in on him and he ends up being an even money play, like the less faith you have on him. You like him because he's the underdog. Beyond that, you know, once he becomes the favorite or once it's an even money play, you just like it less and less. So I'm hoping these guys got some inside advice where he parents in the best shape of his life and Richie Lang uh, had COVID two weeks ago or something great like that that could swing it in our favors. But as far as the reason I bet it, it's simply because he had that wrestling advantage. Cody's wishing COVID on people here. I mean, again, you have no desperate idea. Desperate times call for fight. desperate measures, for sure. I get it. Dude, people get COVID all the time now. This is not two <laughs> years ago where it was like, oh man, they got it and they had to quarantine for a few days and they got no. People get it and they go on with their regular life. And I'm telling you, yeah, the I've talked to a now, of them, it's nothing. People are fighting. People are fighting with COVID. For somebody named the Mongolian, for somebody named the Mongolian murderer, it's like you think he can't get through a bout with COVID? Come on. No, I, 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 I think know, wishing, wishing it on him, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like, Arichi Lang will be fine if he gets COVID. He'll be fine. Uh, uh, well, I would think so. But again, I mean, go back to my guy Trevor Peak this past weekend. He won. He knocked out Kama Worthy in the first round. And then on the microphone, he was like, man, I'm trading two weeks. I had COVID. He's like, I was coughing up black shit at the hotel this morning. Like, me and my team, you know, we discussed it and we were like, you got to knock him out in the first round. And that's what I did. I came out and, I, and he, he came out and he fought. Like if that fight went to the second round, he wasn't going to be there for it. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's huffing and puffing afterwards for the simple fact that he's like, I'm operating on, on one lung right now. And I believed him and we, we talked afterwards. It's like, yeah, yeah, it affected him. But when you're fighting for peanuts, it's a few thousand dollars. Like you got to get, why did Lupita Godinez fight last weekend? She's not, she's hot in the division. She's got some wins. She's got some name cachet. She has some opportunities because you have a small limited amount of time to compete. And when they're dangling the forty, fifty thousand dollars in front of you, and eh, it's a little too much to take. So you jump. You know, why didn't she take down Angela Hill? Because her body wasn't physically capable of doing it. Well, why did she even fight? Well, that's 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 up to her. I don't know. I could not tell you. 
So I understand I get flack sometimes. You're like, man, you had the wrong pick. All I can do is break down what this person can do on his best day, but what they do when they get in there, I go back to a fight with Josh Neer, my, my guy. That guy's actually my guy. But Josh Neer, uh, he wins the fight. He won the fight. And then backstage afterwards, everyone's like, oh, sick win, Josh. How are you feeling? And he's like, I can't feel my legs. He's like, it feels like I'm walking on the beach. I have no spring. I have no motion. He's like, I'm glad I clipped that guy when I did because, like, I, I don't feel right. And I was like, oh, well, how'd that happen? And he won the fight, by the way. I was like, how does that happen? They're just not feeling it, right? Sometimes you go to the gym and you're an animal. You're there for three hours. It's like you just go, go, go. Some days you walk in the gym and you look around the place and you turn around, you go home. So the body's never going to be, you know, where it's at. And that's that's the crazy thing about MMA gambling is like we don't know where they're at. But what we're banking on here as an underdog is that Jay Perrin is in good shape. And a Richie Lang, COVID or not, this is a joke. It, yeah, he's been he's been taken down by Cody Durden a few times, who is uh, – Cody Durden is a flyweight, right? Jay Perrin's having some success in there with Mario Batista, who's like good, strong 35er, right? So, like, I think he could down, take down a Richie Lang. And if he does, that'd be the path of victory. Yeah, your girl, uh, I mean, probably shouldn't have showed up against Cab last week, uh, considering she had come off of a COVID. And we thing. discussed but, but like, we'll it. And we discussed it. We'll yeah, get okay, to we'll that get to at that. the we'll end of the that. program. Yeah. Don't, fr- uh-huh. don't fret. People have gotten this far into the episode. There's 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 some action, but there's one more fight left, Pat. What what do you got to say? Uh, there was uh, breaking news on Jared Gordon. It's a quote. He's not out, but he does say, "quote MMA doesn't give me any fulfillment whatsoever." That's what he said. 20, he wants 20. out. Tap tap submission. Why nine to just, one. Why don't you just bet both sides? If they're both nine to one, just bet finish and then bet sub. It could go to decision. So so this weekend we got uh, we got Rory McDonald right the next GSP fighting for PFL of all places taking on Delano Taylor of all people and in the main event they do his little pre-fight pack and he says straight up he's like this is the fight where I show everybody I'm back me and my team said at the start of this season we're gonna go out there and show them Rory and this is my run you know and and then and then he loses to Delano Taylor in the first round by TKO and then retires afterwards and releases a statement where he's like. MMA is just not who I am anymore. It's like, what are you talking about? The day before, two days before, this is you and you're coming out party and I'm going to show. He says, I want them people talking about me again. I don't want to just win. I want the kind of performance where everybody's saying, oh, look how good Rory is and Rory's back. And then two days later, it's like, nah, not for me. Holy shit, dude. But that's, you have to tell yourself you're ready. Whether you believe you're ready or not, I don't know. And we've seen guys tear their meniscus and compete. And we've seen guys hurt their pinky and pull out. Like, it's uh, it, it's wild, man. You're never going to get anybody in there at 100%. But again, we can only do tape research. And we say, oh, this guy looked good six months ago. Oh, this guy looked good eight months ago. Yeah, but what has he done since then? Has he hurt himself? Does his dog die? His girlfriend left him? His, his, his pill, his medication regime is off? He's dealing with depression? Who knows, man? Um, and even the times that where you're like, yo, I actually got an inside scoop. This guy tore his labrum. The guy still wins because I've gotten a hot tip before. And it was true. He had torn labrum. And uh, it didn't matter. You know what I mean? The adrenaline shot right through him and he swung for the fences. So a lot of variables, a lot of variables. But uh, I'm not here to make excuses. I'm here to hit winning tickets. So I know things have been a little bit rough lately. But I don't know. This Saturday is just another opportunity to get back in the win column. So one more fight, another flyweight banger. And then, uh, yeah, let's round off what picks we like the most. We got uh, Victor Mel- uh, Altamirano taking on Daniel Da Silva, also known as Daniel Lacerda, minus 180 Altamirano, plus 155 for Daniel Da Silva. I don't think 
Altamirano's any great shakes. I don't think he's like some sort of guy to be really, really worried about in this dis- division. My biggest concern is Daniel Da Silva comes with so much heat early that he doesn't really leave much in the tank for later in the rounds. Um, I don't think Altamirano is a great finisher by any stretch of the imagination either, but um, Daniel Da Silva hasn't really shown 15-minute cardio whatsoever. We talked about the under 12 and a half minutes on um, on prize picks as a solid play. Altamirano is my pick. I guess the under at minus 180, don't love it. Better to play it on prize picks. Um, but yeah, I until... Until Daniel De Silva shows that he's got 15 minute cardio to me um, against anybody who has decent durability and Altamirano has proven he's got good durability. I'm going to be picking their opponents every single time. What's your take here, buddy? Yeah, yeah. That's the catch 22 for Daniel Serta is that he's pretty much, uh, I would say, a fairly one dimensional striker. And when I say fast, this guy is fast. He's one of those guys that could be the fastest guy in the gym. He could go to a top gym and they'd say, Dan- this Daniel Serta kid is the fastest guy in the gym. But just because you're fast doesn't make you a complete fighter. And unfortunately, for as quick as he is, yeah, he fades, uh, he throws everything very very uh, explosive and then he, he tends to kind of tire out his ground game leaves something for the imagination certainly but he is dangerous in that he can go out there and clip you with something and so when you have someone that's relying on that quick finish uh, that speed the worst guy you can give them is a mexican because they don't get knocked out and that's the exact same with victor altamirano victor altamirano's got two pro fight uh two pro losses three amateur losses of those five losses been rear naked choke four times and he lost a split decision in his last fight with Carlos Hernandez. He never been knocked out. The kid took some shots against her Hernandez and just kept coming forward the entire time. Even the Carlos Candelario fight, he got largely outgrappled. Strong argument he may have lost that fight, gave up five takedowns. And what does he do? He just the entire time kept chugging, kept coming. Four takedowns of his own, outstrike Candelario, took us some deep waters. And by the end of the fight, Altamirano looks like the better guy, just learning experience, so to speak. And I think that ability to come forward on Daniel Lacerda time and time again, stay in his face, even if you get hit a few times, take the shots, roll with them, break this guy down, eventually he gets it. You guys mentioned you like the over, was it the under 12 and a half? Yeah, that looks pretty good too for the simple fact Lacerda is either going to try with his damnness mm-hmm. to knock him out, and it could happen, and then you hit the under. Or Altamirano, classic cast iron Mexican chin, takes those shots, rolls with them, and breaks him down, and then likely finishes them still in that under 12 and a half. So you're kind of covered on both angles for that one. Last but not least, Victor Altamirano is getting ready to take on Jake Hadley. He's a very good prospect, very strong guy, and predominantly a grappler. Lacerda is coming in on short notice, so if you thought he had questionable cardio before, it could be a little bit compromised. And beyond that, Altamirano getting ready for a grappler probably just uses the same game plan, right? I mean, you can go out there and out-grapple Daniel Lacerda. So, I mean, listen, the kid's got a crazy highlight reel on the regional scene. It's just you're not seeing it translate into wins at the highest level in the UFC. You know, Jeff Molina, I'll give you a pass there, but he had a striking battle with Jeff Molina. He landed 20 strikes, right, through around in, around in a couple minutes, I guess. His, his volume was low. And then, of course, against Francisco Figueredo, he threw some heat. And then the second the fight hits the ground, he gets knee barred. Like, bad look, bad look. Altamirano's got the grappling advantage. He's got the cardio advantage. He's got the durability advantage. I would give the speed and possibly a strike, uh, slight striking advantage. Still, you know, the technicality of it over to uh, over to his opponent, Daniel Lacerda. But if you watch boxing, you see this all the time. It's like, oh, the one kid was an American Olympian. 
And the other kid is a rugged journeyman from Mexico. It's like, yeah, the American's got the jab. He's got the footwork. He's dancing around. But like the other guy just keeps coming forward and working the body and breaking you down. And like, I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I don't know if it's a style thing, but like, I'm not, I know I'm stereotyping them hard right now, but in a positive way, these people are warriors. That ability to take the damage and keep coming forward is what's going to get them the victory. So uh, I got Alta Murano. All right. We're at that point in the show. Where I mean, right. you have you have some debts to pay, Cody. Yes, yes. So the people so, have been waiting. Um, I know Paul Paul Shaughnessy got me in a situation. We don't know how. I don't know how the shoey bet came. This is a tall boy, so let me just get it started, or else the phone. Because you were like, "Oh my God, Cab is so is so horrible." I'm gonna play women's chalk. That's 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 always a great idea. Cab is a sick. warrior. And then she got sick, and then she misses weight, and then they book it a week later. And you still and I told took you. it. You still took the bait. You still For took no the other bait. reason than I said, well, I'm a man. I'm a man of my word. And, like, we had it. Like, you can't, oh, I'm bailing out. That was the right move. 100% I should have bailed out. Unfortunately, when you say you're going to fucking do, there you go. Then Pat, why didn't, the time code. Then why didn't when Cab. When you say you're going to do something, you do it. Why didn't Cab end up on your PRP then? You didn't switch uh, picks there. You still yeah, like no, Lipsky. You still well, went with it, even though yeah, all of these yeah, things yeah. like who I thought eh, it was better. He's trying to blame Pat. He's trying to blame everybody except for like for the shoey bet. You didn't the believe all me. I mean, no, the picks all me. I'm, saying I'm happy shoot. to pick someone like Cab who's going to go in there, blood and guts and, and try to finish the fight. Yeah, well, like four, well, you know what? You've, two you've in her last it. six fights now. She's, yeah, I mean, she had a other. horrible start. And I mean, Valentina Shevchenko was her debut. So it's like, I mean, just throw that one out. She's made a lot of improvements. And that girl is going, like like Nate Landwehr, like they're, they are dogs. Like they're, they are going to care. go out there and fight for your money. And that's really all you can ask for in, in fights, um, you know, in fights like that. Yeah, so oh, I, just, I had Ode I had Ode Osborne on the top ticket. That hurt. You know, I had Josh Hill on the Bellator top ticket. That hurt. I lost a shoey bet to you on a Priscilla Cachoeira. That hurt. But nothing hurt more than I turned my back on Nate Landwehr and he went out there and junkyard dogged him in a fight of the year. That hurt the most. So anyways, did to myself, shoey bet. Uh, I don't advise them, but if you say you're going to do something, you do it. So let's go for it. There was one guy who, like, reached out to us. He was very concerned about, like, us doing these shoeys, worried about, like, us, like, getting parasites. As I told him, do not do this at home. Cody and I are actually trained professionals who have uh, – yeah, we have a doctor, like, on standby just in case something happens uh, during one of these shoeys. So, yeah. I'll tell you something. If I'll tell you something. You can't come after Mayo Media Network or Dogger Pass Podcast if anything happens to you after drinking out of your dirty boot. That's, that's yeah, all I'm Yeah, two really things. Saying. Two things. Thing number one, the alcohol actually sanitizes it. So you're all good there. And the second thing is my claim to fame on Fight Network was end day one sick day, 10 years, 10 years straight, never took one single sick day. Why? Because you live in the germ. It's downtown Toronto. You grab the subway pole. Like, ah, oh, man, who the hell knows what's going on? But you live in the germ. You become one with the germ. Same thing here. Should we? I'll be all right. Same reason I got COVID twice and it did nothing. 
I'm, uh, I'm vaccinated. So talk about bullshit. They lied to us again. Can't get on a plane though without it. What was I gonna do, right? I got shit. I gotta go. Do. I have drank as many shoes as uh, anybody outside of like Taitui Vasa. I haven't got COVID. I smoke far too many cigarettes every single day. Yeah, I mean that the boot is literally my winter boot that I'm drinking out of. Like, I did do what? How many years? Six years of tree planting. You know. You live out in those streets for a bit, like you're pretty much like besides, you know, celiac disease, there's there's pretty much nothing that can stop you. Um, I only have some like really ridiculous, like long shot props from a betting perspective. I've got Hunsucker for a uh, for a Swiss Chalet family pack. Uh, I actually added Leo Santos inside the distance plus 500 when Pat said, why don't you just bet both? Because it's like, you know what? I would be really upset if. Jared Gordon, who is chinny, if he just gets dropped. Um, so I have by submission plus 900 and plus 500 for inside the distance. We'll see where I get on the rest of the week. I'm kind of setting myself up this week for like possibly a reverse sweep loss, but the damage is going to be negligible because I just, uh, historically for me, I just don't really do well, you know, parlaying a whole bunch of favorites. It's just not my jam and it's just not what I'm good at. Um, pulling up prize picks right now. The stuff that I like, I mean, Altamirano, Fletcher and Costa. So the under in Altamirano, the under in Costa and the over in Fletcher. Those three, I think are super solid plays. Uh, I've played them a whole bunch of different ways. I got the, uh, Marab over takedowns. Very nervous about that because Jose Aldo's takedown defense is awesome. Um, and the over in uh, Romanov takedowns, don't mind that. I think I, the Orichi Lang over 65.5 significant strikes. I liked it yesterday when I posted about it. But if Perrin just like wrestles and lays on him, that may not actually be all that good. But yeah, we'll see where we get for the, uh, for the rest of the week here. Cody, hit him with the PRP. All right, hitting him with the PRP, and yeah, it seems like it's going to be a little favorite-heavy, but things could potentially change. We're going with Kamaru Usman, Paulo Costa, Jose Aldo, dog number one, Marcin, or sorry, uh, Alexander Romanov, Tyson Pedro, Jared Gordon, uh, Yanon Wu, that's dog number two, Sean Woodson, Random Maverick, AJ Fletcher, Amir Albazi, Jay Perrin, dog number three, Victor Altamirano. You know, when you think about it that way, it's 10 favorites, three underdogs, they don't seem that bad. It's that it's not these uh, Jay Perrin plus one twenty five, right? That's not really an underdog. Lucy Pudilova, Yanon Wu is they're basically you know it's, it's a pick them fight. Yeah, Jose Aldo versus Marab Devajvili. No one's gonna pat me on the back and be like, man, you called that one. It like it's it's pretty damn close to a pick them fight, right? Yeah. It's like there's there's gonna be that one big underdog, like Maybe whether it be couple. Harry Hunsucker, whether it be Marcin Tybora. Whether it be Leo Santos, whether it be Shana Young, one of them's going to hit through, and that that's going to be the one that hurts. So I'm trying to avoid it the best I can. Looking at things, of course, I gave you my full picks there. You put you put Usman at the top. Who do you put with him? Right, flirting with the idea of you put Sean Woodson, it gets you to minus one sixty five right there. A Miranda Maverick, we like her. An Amir Al Bazi, we like him. 
I think at some point you're going to have to use Tyson Pedro. At some point you're going to have to use Alexander Romanov. And just those guys right there, it gets you to plus 221. It don't sound sexy, but now you take your shot on Apollo Costa, right? That gets you to plus 310. And then the only other people I would feel comfortable outside of them would be Victor Altamirano. And then you're looking at quite a bit of passing to be like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you chase the Jared Gordon dragon. But anyways, those eight, and that's eight, that's enough. That gives you to plus 515, right? Uh, I noticed I, I noticed a few people, like last night's a good example in the Contender Series, right? So we got our top ticket, which thankfully hit, plus 123. The rest of them, they blow up in flames. If the top ticket hit and it's plus money, that's fine. If we hit two tickets, that's fine. I get grief if I only hit two tickets. It's like, you're shit. And by, mind you, I, I get it. Sometimes I don't even hit any tickets at all. That's a shit performance. If you can hit a plus 515, there's no need to let the greed ruin your night. And that's the problem I'm seeing with a lot of people. It's like you could double up your money, but it's like they want it 10 times their money. And if they don't 10 times their money, then someone done screwed up. You think I'm the only guy that backed a lot of those guys last week? No, no. It was Dog City. Dog City is going to happen. Should have been a little bit wiser to it. I'm not making excuses. I'm not. Uh, people that know. No, nah, no, nah, I'm not making excuses at all. Yeah, so fuck it. The, Pat, write that second time code down too. Good to go. Kill this weekend. There is a PFL over in the UK. Starts at 12. Some decent lines there. And then there is an LFA on the Friday night. And there's like three Canadians on it. happening behind you right now? Yeah, yeah. Someone's clearly dying. Uh, I have noticed that as well. So anyways, that's all for me. I'm going to go check out if someone needs a CPR, a mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. <laughs> resuscitation. Hopefully everything's okay over at the uh, the Saftic residence. Uh, Pat, yeah. Quad P, hit us with it. So uh, mine are very similar to yours. I just played three. I played them staggered. The main one's going to be Alamarino and Costa, double under, 12 and a half, 10 in terms of the fight time. That pays three to one. I added A.J. Fletcher over with the, with the haircut, 12 mm-hmm. and a half minutes. That pays five to one with mm-hmm. those two. Love it. And then I added Romanov over two and a half takedowns. And Kweingauri, the, the Mongolian murder, under 81 and a half fantasy points. Yeah. Don't mind that. That pays 10 to 1 if I'll hit, but you also win if four of them hit. I'm, I'm, I'm on most of the same stuff. I, I had the the Mongolian murderer over 65 significant strikes. He could get over 65 significant strikes if he's getting taken down, and yeah. he doesn't get anywhere close to 80. Like, if Perrin's tough, hasn't been knocked out. I, I think that's pretty pretty sharp there, Pat. Um, Any final thoughts? Oh, yeah promo code DOP or click the link, click the link of uh, where we're posting on social media. Um, if you want to help out the program and uh, get in on the action, cause it seems like there's like decent opportunities to be had on prize picks on a weekly basis. Don't forget John Kelly, 7 PM Eastern time, Mayo media network, taking all of your questions Friday. on Friday. I, I, I never said Friday, you know, I'm a producer, not a host. I, I, I do my best. I do my best. But, uh, yeah, Friday, 7 p.m. I'll work this out. By next week, there is no card next week. By the next time, I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll have it absolutely nailed. Unless it's like he doesn't do it at the same time every single week. I no, it's know. not going to be every week either. Unless people use promo code DOP at Prize Picks on first deposit so I can afford to pay people. Fair enough. All right. I think we've... Uh, you know, I wanted to kind of keep this one snappy and we are approaching, you know, quite a, quite a long show this week. 
For Cody and Quad P, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.